0: Welcome to Growth Decoder, a podcast that digs into those pivotal moments that real entrepreneurs face every day to find out how they rose to those challenges. I'm your host, Mafuz Chowdhury. I knew that my my
1: time had come and I, I knew that we needed somebody uh, a little bit younger, somebody with uh, more experience or a different vision to really take it to the next phase.
0: Today on episode four, things are going to get emotional. After you've put all your blood, sweat, and tears into building a successful business, the thought of stepping away can be extremely difficult. But succession planning is essential for your family and for your future. In fact, 75% of business owners are planning to sell their business over the next decade. So let's talk about it. Whether you are thinking about exiting your business through merger or acquisition, selling all or part of your company, or passing along ownership to the kids, succession planning is complex. And to help us understand the real-world complexities and emotions of effective succession planning for a family-owned business, we welcome Keith Bosman. Keith spent 25 years building Western Canada's largest privately-owned cleaning manufacturer VIP Soap Products. He then decided to sell the majority stake to a private equity firm in 2018. But even after the sale, Keith stayed on as chief revenue officer and main principal. Keith understands firsthand what it takes to sell a business. So we couldn't ask for a better guest to be here with us today to navigate these waters. Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'd like to think it's uh, very ideal time to bring you in for this conversation, because from what I hear, you're two weeks officially into retirement. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, Thanks very much. We're very excited to dive into what the last 25 or so years look like in terms of growing a very admirable business and learning a little bit of how you navigated through some of the reoccurring challenges that maybe a lot of businesses experience along the way. I'd love to start with the peak of those 25 years, you know, at the height of the business, when you would say we're potentially the best years of VIP soaps. I'd love for you to walk us through what your day-to-day look like in at the peak of the business. And what did you find yourself spending most of your time doing at that time?
1: I think the, the peak of the business was really around 2018 when we decided to to sell the company and we had a lot of private label business down in the United States as well as here in Canada and things were going really, really well. It was pre-COVID so we didn't know what was coming ahead of us and um, our sales team was was really generating a lot of business. So day-to-day business for me was just trying to really put out fires Mm. and keep staff motivated, keep staff happy and keep them looking to the future and saying, if we're growing at this pace now, where are we going to be in three years from now or five years from now? And just keep them uh, looking to the future because you can look at the past and say, oh, this didn't work out or that didn't work out, but we have to look at the future to really grow
0: a business. Key to help paint a picture for the viewers, uh, how big was the team at that time and what were the different departments consisting of? In 2018, we had probably about um,
1: 50 to 60 staff at uh, VIP soap products. Um, We had another 20 to 25 up in Kelowna at a bottle manufacturing plant that we also owned. And uh, we got a, a big account in the United States and basically our volume increased by about 30, 35%. And it was a big change in a, in a short period of time, um, but we managed it really well. It's uh, credit to the staff that uh, all the departments knew what they had to do. Uh, we had regular meetings, you know, going over the, the parameters of this new business and what they required. And it worked out, worked out really well. Just motivated the staff. That's the main thing.
0: How would you define your leadership time? or your leadership style during 2018 with so many different moving pieces with an exceptional team that is producing the top type of results that you were looking for at that time?
1: I find that my leadership style may be a little bit different from other people's. I always say that I have a, a MBWA, which is a management by walking around, mm, yeah. right? So I I spent a lot of time on the floor and I enjoyed being on the floor Watching production, trying to increase production, looking at uh, the different ways of of doing that, and dealing with the actual people who are working—from uh, somebody who is mixing product, somebody who is uh, operating a machine, people who are packing bottles, stacking uh, finished cases on pallets, taking them away. I had a good relationship basically with all the staff and I made sure that I was on the floor every day for at least an hour, walking around, talking to people, helping where help was needed and really making my presence known that we were all in this together and that's the important thing. We're all working for, for one goal.
0: It's a fantastic mindset and it reminds our team members that you're still pushing towards the north star you still have your eyes on the prize and you're getting there with them to ensure that the necessary steps are being taken to get there what was your personal favorite part of leading this team or growing the business being that there are so many things happening at that time in 2018
1: i think looking to the future and and letting the staff know that we're going to always look at at more equipment Uh, quicker, easier ways to do things, as well as um, the footprint of the building. So we'd we'd grown quite a bit over the years from initially about 8,000 square feet to now we have 190,000 square feet. incredible. So we were always looking at where can we expand the building? Um, What footprint can we move? How can we change manufacturing or or the finished goods warehouse? So we were always building since... um, Probably since 1996, we always had some kind of construction project underway. And that really motivated me, kept my eye on a few different things at once, but also motivated the staff knowing that we were growing. We weren't We weren't stopping.
0: And what was it about the pandemic years that threw a major curveball into your plans? It looks like there was a lot of momentum going into the forward years. Can you walk me through what that transition looked like?
1: Yeah, the pandemic years, it it was kind of interesting because for uh, cleaning products, it was actually a, a boom time for us because people spent more time at home, they spent more time cleaning. Um, they weren't going out as much to restaurants, so they were cooking more, they are doing more dishes, they are doing more laundry, staying at home, washing floors, washing walls and windows. And that's what we make is, is uh, cleaning products. So for us, It wasn't so much um, a downturn as an upturn in business, but our problem was getting supplies in because all of a sudden there was trucking problems going from the U.S. to Canada. There was uh, container products uh, problems from overseas. We had all kinds of little issues that were little stumbling blocks, but for the most part, the beginning of the pandemic was actually a a boom time for us.
0: You're definitely in one of those interesting categories that might've seen a bit of a upward spike during those heavy years. So Keith, with this type of momentum, with this type of momentum happening in your business and you getting to do the things that you love, the leadership style at its absolute best, I'd love to know where the word selling your business first came to mind. Uh, What was happening in your business at that moment that made you think about approaching a different path with what you've been doing with this business?
1: Well, at that that time, and and even the the years leading up to that, um, you always hear about uh, people selling their business or wanting to get out of their business when things are bad. And that's not the time to get out of a business. You want to get out of a business, if you're going to get out, when things are really good, when you're on the uptick, because then you're going to get the best value for your business as well. So, we realized back in 2015, 2016, that we had just got some new contracts, things were growing, and we were going in the right direction. So, we started preparing um, financially as well as uh, personnel personnel wise for uh, an exit strategy. And, um, you know, it, it's tough to leave when you're on an, an upslope. But at the same time, you want to get the best value for for your business as well.
0: Was that always the plan in the early years when growing the business? Or was it something that happened along the way that you saw this tremendous opportunity with exiting the business? Um, I think it was, it wasn't always a
1: plan because when you're growing a business, you get your family involved. So my two sons and and daughter was involved. Uh, My wife was involved. We all kind of helped grow the business in, in different ways. My son started when he was in high school. He'd come in on the weekends and clean machines and stuff like that. And we started building the business as our kids started to get older to come into the business and one by one, they came in and they left, right? Mm. They came in and they left and that's the way you you can't drive your family to take over the business. So, um, my one son is still, uh, involved in the business, but he didn't have any aspirations of actually taking over the business. I see. So we made the decision to, to exit the business and, um, keep our, our hand in it because, uh, of all the property that we we owned as well, and make sure that whoever is taking over was going to do uh, what we had done in the past, but expand it
0: further. For someone that is trying to figure out how to have that conversation with their family for the first time, and bring up the idea of how the upcoming years may look very different for what they're used to in the uh, last previous years, can you walk through what that conversation looked like when it was being discussed as a family for the first time?
1: Uh, I think that when we started to to talk about uh, exiting the business, we didn't get the kids as involved as um, as other families may have been, because we saw um, the kind of disinterest in, in in one aspect and the interest in the other aspect. But we knew that they weren't going to take over the business because they had different aspirations in mind and different uh, mindsets and different technical abilities that didn't really say that they were going to take over and and run it as a CEO would, would take over the business. So we knew at that point that they were happy doing what they were doing and going in their different directions. So we just kind of made the decision ourselves that this is the plan. And, um, Basically, sprung it out on them hmm. aft- after the deal was done. So, and what was the response like when uh, when everyone heard the big news? Oh, they were really happy. They yeah. th- they thought it was a great. They say, you know, you work so hard for so long. You put in long hours, long weeks. You know, you uh, don't go on as many vacations as you you may have at that time. Um, you put everything into a business, right? You you borrow money. You put it in. And it's nice to come to a point where you say, okay, I'm going to start taking out of the business. I'm going to start uh, relaxing a little bit more and, and doing some traveling, doing the things that you want to do. But when you own a business, you don't
0: necessarily get to do. It's very telling with how supportive your family was about this decision, and how they saw the the work ethic and everything that you were pouring into the business. So it's really exciting to hear how supportive everyone was with this major transition. Um, there are many options out there when you're looking at exiting a business. You mentioned that family taking over sometimes is a is a common conversation, though it didn't seem like it made sense in this scenario. Um, there is also opportunities like buyouts or. Um, someone in your existing leadership team taking over. Can you talk a little bit about the path that you chose to go? And what was it about that direction that made the most sense?
1: Yeah, we were actually contacted by a a, a private equity. They approached us and said, um, you know, we'd like to do a, a valuation of your company. See where it has been, where it's going, where we think that the value is. So we had it done by two different different companies. And um, after thinking about it for six months and going back over the numbers and, and talking to them, we decided to, to go with one of them and to pursue the, the, the sales.
0: Can we talk a little bit about these two valuation companies and why you chose one over the other? Um, there are many, many outreach companies these days that virtually knock on your door. And a lot of them have different reasons that they want to work with you. A lot of them try to pitch you a big idea that seems appealing, but it's hard hard to trust a business sometimes, especially when you haven't heard of them. What was it about one over the two that made you trust and really believe that you're getting the the ultimate value for your business?
1: I think that's the the key word as you use is trust. You You build a business based on relationship, relationship with our customers, relationship with our employees, relationship with our partners, relationship with the bank, everything is based on relationship. So it's the same thing going into and meeting with private equity companies and sellers is that you have to be able to look at somebody and be able to trust them, look at their numbers and say, does this make sense? And some people come with numbers that don't make sense. Some people come with plans that don't make sense. And so you have to have a little bit of uh, insight into what you really think is happening and what you really think is possible before you make that decision. So we went with the one company because they had a real sound foundation of, of where they thought we were and where they thought we could get to.
0: Being in the marketing side of the world, often I hear... The phrase that businesses say, which is know your worth, they'll always say. And a lot of this is usually talked about the pricing of what you offer. But in your scenario, the know your worth is how you know with full confidence that the number that they're presenting in the valuation that they're doing for your business is either accurate or really what you believe to be the right number at that time. Can you walk through those numbers a little bit in terms of what allowed you to be confident behind those numbers? How do you know how much your business is worth?
1: Um, I think the most important thing is doing a little bit of research yourself, and and going out and saying, okay, what are companies worth? What is the what is the EBITDA that that uh, different companies are looking for? What is the uh, the markup that they're looking for? What are their growth potentials? And Doing that you know, on the internet, talking to people and saying, okay, how much did you get for your company and how many times EBITDA was that and what are the ranges that are out there right now? So we did a lot of market research on our own to find out um, what multiples would be possible and for our own category as well. So we had a good idea going in. And then when we got the, the valuation back, especially from the one company, it was sound, they had good reasoning for it, and uh, we, we thought it was doable.
0: Uh, You talked about trust with your team and why that's important as a leader. You talked about trust with your family and the support behind it and trust with choosing the right partner, such as the business that was creating the evaluation. Can you talk to me a little bit about what trust means to you in these environments? So you mentioned that this business was someone that you could trust. Can you walk through examples of some things that you've seen them do that maybe you're not seeing other businesses do?
1: I would say that when they present Uh, a program to you or present a proposal to you that the due diligence is done all the way through it. And when they're presenting it to you, they're very confident of the numbers and they look you in the eye and they say, these are the numbers. This is what we can achieve. This is where you have been. This is where you're going. And they also have um, uh, relationships with, with um, private equity companies or they have relationships with past deals that they've done, which they can bring to the forefront and give you a little bit more confidence in who they are and what they've done. But we spent a lot of time with them before we decided to um, sign on the dotted line and made sure that these are the people that we want to to be in business with, because you want to make sure that you align yourself with like-minded people, people who have the same strategy that you have, people that have the same vision as you, and also integrity is a big part of it. If you feel that they're a man or a woman of integrity, and that's how you value yourself, and that's part of your value system, then it makes you a lot more comfortable in dealing with them.
0: That's fantastic, Keith. And with this new leap that you're taking, into an environment that maybe you haven't experienced in the past, was there any at any moment in in during that period that you started having doubts. You started hesitating. You started wondering if this was the right decision?
1: Not until the last week or so, but <laughs> other yeah. than that no, no, I didn't have any doubts because when we decided to to sell the company, um, we were going to retain a good portion of it to make sure that it was going forward. At the same time, I stayed on for, uh, had a three year contract to stay on to run the company the same way it had been running so that we would be able to show the private equity company that uh, came in that our numbers were right and we were going in the right direction. And that gave me confidence that, you know, I'm dealing with the right people and they're happy to have me stay on for three years. And it ended up being four and a half years. Wow. So they kept me on for another year and a half until we were able just to to find somebody to replace me. But at the same time, I'm still involved in the business because we're still on the board of directors, uh, still have a, a, an active presence there, and um, still have our, our portion of our money tied up in the business, as well as the property and, and, and lands.
0: That's incredible. It's it's like even though you're not running the operations the same way that you used to, you always still have a piece of that chapter with you, right? And whether that is through the board of directors or um, I- any financial investments, you're still heavily involved in the success of that business. Um, talk to me a little bit about the buyer and the first time you had an opportunity to take a good look at them. Some would say it would be easier to trust your family members or your leadership team because you've kind of got to see what their work habits are like, what their vision is, their investment into the business. When you had a buyer that came in and you were you're just getting to know them in the early phases, can you talk me through what it was about this business that made you have the type of confidence that you did when you passed over the keys to them?
1: Yeah, I think that when you go through this process, the the, the seller always brings you uh, multiple companies to, to look at, people who are interested. And we had 27 companies that were really interested in, in purchasing VIP. And we went through their scenarios and what they were looking at because they make proposals as well. And we narrowed it down to nine. So it seemed like a lot, but when we got down to nine, we actually brought them in uh, to our boardroom interviewed them as they were interviewing us, went back and forth over a period of you know two or three weeks, um, made sure that we saw each one, followed up with any other due diligence that we wanted to know from them or they wanted to know from us, and then we narrowed it down to, to three companies, and we had further interviews and discussions with them until we, we got more comfortable, and um, when we got comfortable, we, we made the decision, and we're really happy with the, the people that, uh, that came on board.
0: It really looks like you did your due diligence. That, that can not have been an easy task. Um, I, I'd love to learn a little bit about the transition. So let, let's go from the 27 to the nine first, which is already a, uh, a taxing job. Uh, what was it about those nine in a pile of 27 that seemed more appealing or seemed like someone that could make the, the final list?
1: Uh, The nine that we got down to, some of them had um, uh, other business interests that were along the same lines as that we were doing. Mm. Manufacturing or manufacturing uh, household cleaning products. Um, They knew the market. They knew household goods. Uh, consumer goods is really important to have a good, steady background in. So when we got down to the nine, those people all had manufacturing and uh, consumer goods uh, profiles in the other companies that that they owned. So that was a, a really big incentive. Um, when we came down to the final, it may have been a more tug on the on the heartstrings when you say we want to do something, if possible, that's Canadian. To, to stay in Canada, mm. and um, also something that's local if possible. So our final choice ended up being a, a Canadian private equity firm that uh, is in Vancouver.
0: So People often talk about the right fit and sometimes the gut feeling that you get knowing that this is the right partnership to have. When you came down to the final three, and I, I can't imagine this was an easy job considering you started with 27 at the very beginning, What was it about that one? You mentioned the Canadian piece. You mentioned the investment in manufacturing. But from a relationship standpoint, what was it about that individual or that business that made you feel like this this was the right fit for something that you spent many, many years building? I think one of the key things is that they wanted
1: us to carry on what we were doing. They're happy with the job that we were doing, happy with the job that that I was doing, and they offered us a a three-year contract. Some other people may have said, six months and and you're gone. But with them, it was like three years, we wanna keep going exactly what you're doing, see this uh, growth uh, trajectory as you do, and um, be basically hands-off. And they were hands-off for the first three years. We basically, you know, Filed our uh, quarterly or, or half annual reports, and that was it. Didn't, didn't hear mm-hmm. very much for them. Things were going well, and, and usually if things are going well, you don't, you don't hear from, from uh, the partial owners. So um, they, were, they turned out to be a really good fit. They had other manufacturing companies, and we were able to, to talk to a couple of them. They let us talk to them, and they said that they were, they were hands-off, that they just wanted to invest in the business and have it grow.
0: Were there any challenges as well in those three years with working with, alongside them and a lot of the discovery that was being made during that partnership?
1: I think part of the only real issue came with, with COVID. Yeah. And, you know, we were growing at the time, which was great, but but then we got into a problem with getting supplies Um, out of the U.S., getting supplies, even across Canada, getting supplies from, from Asia. We had a real problem with freight, and freight started to drive costs way up high, and also manufacturing got shut down in other countries. So the problem was that we had all this pressure on raw material supply as well as raw material costs because when the supply starts to dwindle a little bit, Mm. the prices go up. So prices really started to increase probably the latter half of, of COVID. Even though we were still growing in volume, prices were going up. Consequently, we had to raise prices and margins shrank, you know, So then you start having more conversation with uh, the private equity firm, saying, well, margins are, shrink- are shrinking. We're not going to have as good a year this year as we had last right. year. And um, we had more conversations with them, but they understood exactly what was going on. So it wasn't uh, any real problem.
0: It must have been a new experience for everyone. So the, the learning along the way must have been important.
1: I always tell people that uh, – business over 25 or 35 or 40 years, it's like a roller coaster. Not everything is going to be smooth sailing. You're going to have your highs and you're going to have your lows and and the highs are going to come really quick and the lows are going to come really quick, but your job as a president or owner, um, a facilitator of all the people is to even out the highs and the lows and make things more of a a gradual climb. And that's what we were able to do.
0: Keith, can you talk a little bit about the those lows? Because I think that it's great to see where you were at from 2018 and going forward and even coming out as um, on the winning side through some of the most difficult years for many businesses. Can you talk about some of the lows that you experienced in the early years and share a little bit about how you navigated through those?
1: Yeah, our first... Real low was when we just had a good growth um, period as we got a, a, a big company contract in Japan. So we were exporting to Japan. We moved our manufacturing from Abbotsford to Mission. We went from 8,000 square feet to 43,000 square feet. And um, they were taking as much as we could possibly make. We quadrupled our staff. We were just going as fast as we could. And then they went bankrupt. Hmm. So all of a sudden, there's yeah. a big low there, and you're scrambling because you have uh, a lot more staff, you have uh, a lot more overhead because of the cost of the the building and and uh, everything else that's concerned. You start having to lay off staff because you don't have as much production to do, and and trying to find other revenue streams, uh, other customers. So that was a, a big low. That was our first big low. Was in '96. And then we had another one which is very similar. In in 2003, uh, we lost another customer because in this business you you gain customers, you lose customers, sure. and that's just the cycle that happens. So that's happened probably three or four times. But the more it happens, the the more strength you gain from it, and you understand. Not everything is going to be rosy. You're not going to have a a nice, gentle slope up in business. You're going to go up and you're going to go down. And you have to be able to mitigate those highs and lows and mitigate your costs as well. Mm -hmm. And say, I'm not going to put all my eggs in one basket. If this company represented 80% of our our growth and 80% of our volume, um, it gets to be very dangerous.
0: Sure. And I imagine a lot of businesses that, are in a similar industry can probably relate to those lows and as you said the expectation that there will be customers that maybe decide that they don't want to be customers anymore being that you've gone through it few times over the many years how do you prepare for the next time what can other businesses do i think the best thing to do is you still have
1: to go after the business you have to go after those those bigger customers but you have to set a limit as to how much of your volume are you prepared to sell to them? Um, Are you prepared to sell them uh, 80% or 90% of your volume? Uh, At first we were wanting to do that. Now we won't let anybody go past say 25% and you're trying to bring that down by getting more customers and and larger customers. So you wanna just try and decrease your customer dependence as much as possible. Bring that down to maybe your biggest customers is 20, 25% of your business, and your next one is like 15% and then 10%. It's a lot easier to recover from a loss of a 10 or 15% customer than somebody who's accounting for 35 or 40% of your business.
0: Yeah, that's great. And working alongside family, which is something that um, in many interviews that we've done, we hear that being a common practice, wanting to really share the love and passion that you have with your business, with your family members as well, to be a part of. What has been some um, great benefits of working with your family members, and what are some challenges as well?
1: Well, the the biggest benefit, of course, is is seeing them on a daily basis, right? Mm -hmm. You get to to work with them and see them because a lot of families, you know, you don't see your your kids for maybe two or three weeks at a time or a month, or if they're across the country, you don't see them for six months or a year. So having the family involved, you got to see them on a a daily basis, Um, drew our family closer together. Uh, We're able to have, you know, dinners On a Sunday night and and talk about the business or not talk about the business. And uh, we were all all fairly involved together in in the business as it was growing. Um, Those are the high points. The the low points, of course, is that uh, not everybody does what you expect them to do. So it's really hard to kind of reprimand that person as if you would an employee, but you still have to do that and you have to show them, you know, this is the way we're going. This is, this is the right way of doing mm. things. And they are of course more familiar with you and, and, and how you operate as well. So. They either learn from that or they reject it. You know, kids like to reject their parents and say, "No, that's not the way to go, Dad. This is that's the the wrong way." So you have to, you know, find a happy medium sometimes and and uh, take a little bit more from them than you would you would normally do, and um, but still be firm and still be uh, aggressive and say, you know, this is the philosophy, this is the vision of of the company, this is where we're going, and this is how we're going to do it. Mm.
0: And how do you find the balance between being the, you know, Keith, the boss and and the manager versus Keith, the dad and the husband? How do you know when to switch that on and off? It's
1: it's it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier in a group setting when you're in a, a meeting with other departments within the company, and and we have a like a a weekly meeting of of the five or six departments, it's easier to do it then than it is to do it on a on a one-on-one basis. But on a one-on-one basis, it's uh, more talking about uh, the future and, and where the company's going and, and where the family is going, what we're going to do down the road.
0: Being that you had so much history with this business over the 25 years, even with family memories and, and their involvement every step of the way, what were the emotional roller coasters? You talked about the strategic roller coasters and the ebb and flow of the business, but the emotions that you might've experienced in the the highs and lows of the business. Can you walk us through what that was like over the 25 years running the business?
1: Yeah, I think in the early stages, I did all the sales as well. So when you're, uh, when you start up a business or take over a business, you wear all the hats. So I'd be down on the floor one day, um, uh, packing fabric softener with the guys for a full eight hour shift. And, uh, the next day I'd be calling on the customers, trying to sell the product or make a deal. And, uh, the next day I'd be talking to the bank, trying to get some more financing or or whatever it was. So you're wearing all of the hats and sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming, but at the same time, you get to know all the aspects of the business. And uh, if you haven't run a business before, like like me, I'd never run a business before. We just bought it because we had confidence in ourselves and uh, it worked out really well. But you put in a lot of hours, you put in a lot of time and you wear all the hats.
0: When you finally stepped away from the business and decided to be more of a supporting member in those three years, that became a a little bit longer than the three years. Um, what was the emotions like that, uh, at that point? Was there any sense of attachment to the business or hopes of wanting to be heavily involved like you used to be in the early years?
1: No, not really, because I knew that my my time had come and I I knew that we needed somebody uh, a little bit younger, somebody with uh, more experience or a different vision to really take it to the next phase. Um, I'd run through all of the phases, basically, that, that I wanted to get through, to, uh, which ended up with the sale of the company and to get it to have the opportunity to go further and further with the v- development of all the property and the buildings and, and the infrastructure. But I needed somebody else who was gonna take it to the next step, and I didn't have, or I didn't feel I had the energy to do that anymore. Mm, got it. And you need fresh blood.
0: And what did that next step move look like for this for this business, you, especially over the last three years when you're witnessing some of the changes and the evolution of the business? Have you seen a significant change in those three years that maybe you didn't put in place in the early years?
1: Um, not really. In the last three years, we've been fairly steady in in our growth um, because we've just hired somebody to to take over in the last six months, and but the The plans that we have for the next three years are huge compared to what we've done over the last three years. So he has a lot on his plate taking over from me. And uh, the board has put a lot on him to to really increase the sales. And we know we're going to do it. We have a game plan. We know what the trajectory is for manufacturing, for incoming goods, for the export of goods. So we have a good plan in place, and he just has to execute it
0: when you take a look back at how you were operating the business from a day-to-day operations, you mentioned walking around and being part of the, the work that's going in, being in the trenches with your team and pushing forward versus what you were doing in the last few years now, what would you say is the biggest difference in how you're helping support the business versus the day-to-day operations that you used to be running?
1: I think my support for the staff over the last few years has been more um, strategic and and more emotional where they know that I'm not going to come down and and work on the production line for eight hours. But when I do come down, I still stack some boxes to help somebody out and I I talk to them. I get to know, you know, who they are and and what their issues are. And um, for me, I was more uh, focused on, on the people and um, how we can help them? How we can help them in in our business? How we can help them in their community to to grow
0: with us? Mm, amazing. We, you know, we talked about your emotional roller coaster, but your team members and being able to adjust to this change, having you as their day to day go to person, to now maybe seeing you less often, although having that emotional connection with you. Well, how would you say the team members adjusted? To this change and knowing that they don't have access to you maybe as much as they used to in the past years.
1: Yeah, it was really important that when we uh, hired the guy that took over that he had the same philosophy about uh, getting to know the staff and spending time on the, on the floor and I made sure that that was a, a key part of anyone coming in because we didn't want somebody who just came in as a chief financial officer and sat in an office and crunched numbers and, and uh, came in at eight o'clock and left at five o'clock and, and that was it. We wanted to make sure somebody that would do a lot of the same things that, that I was doing. And uh, the guy that we hired does that. You know, I was in the office yesterday because I still have an office downstairs, and I saw him coming down the stairs with his uh, safety vest on and his... uh, um safety boots on Love going to out on the floor. And, Great. uh, you know, I talked to him briefly and he, he goes out every day. He talks to everybody, he knows everybody. And so the transition for the staff has been a lot easier. Um, when I go in and I still go out on the, on the floor, they say, oh, we haven't seen you in a few days and how's things going. And it's uh, cause you build a relationship with right. them. They're not, they're not just employees, right? They're friends. Some of them I've, I've known for 25, 30 years. So it's uh, it's been a little bit different that way, but at the same time you try and keep those connections.
0: Keith, with this being your two weeks into retirement and an opportunity for you to uh, talk a little bit about the past many years, I'd love to even present this as an opportunity for you to use this platform as a reflection of your many years and some of the things that you're really proudest of with everything that you've done for this business. When you look back at the 25, then the additional four and a half years that you're that you spent with this business, what would you say is the achievement that you're the proudest of?
1: I think just the the biggest achievement would be building relationships across the board. We built good relationships um, first of and foremost with our customers, uh, with our employees. Um, with the, the community and um, with our bank as well. We had a great relationship with uh, Canadian Western Bank. They helped us throughout the business right from day one, from 1996 on. Um, they were integral in, in helping us, and we strive to, to build relationships with all, all uh, portions of our business, whether I said it's uh, customers or staff or... Um, The banking system, vendors, whatever it is, we want to make sure we have a good relationship. And I'd say that that's what we were able to accomplish, is good relationships all the way along.
0: There's a uh, astonishing stat that 75% of business owners are planning to sell their businesses over the next decade. And this seems to be a conversation that I think will be incredibly valuable when they look back at this to decide what are the next steps For someone like that, that is maybe sitting across from you and asking you for advice, what are some recommendations that you would make to help them with this transitional period?
1: I would say that start earlier than later. Start thinking about it, um, not when you want to retire or when things are going poorly, Think about it when things are going good and you say, okay, I'm not going to retire for for five years or 10 years. Start thinking about it then. Start doing some research. Start looking at uh, different programs available. Um, Get some education on on selling a company and, and what you need to do to do it so that you're well prepared for it. Don't decide at the last minute because I think a lot of times it comes down to maybe it's a health reason Or maybe it's a a, a family reason that you decide to sell the company very quickly. And when you decide to sell it very quickly, you usually don't get your best bang for your buck.
0: Excellent. And, Keith, finally, uh, with your current state being... In uh, officially retired, and and I want to congratulate you. I think I did that off air, but I want to make sure I, I get a chance to congratulate you. It's a big leap, and um, I'd love to hear what's next for you. What is in the plans for you and your family going forward?
1: Well, you know, I, I joke to the kids that they're they're not going to have any inheritance left. Mm. and we're gonna we're gonna spend <laughs> it all, but I don't think that'll happen. But um, we want to travel and and see some of the things that maybe we we. Missed over the years, some of the things that uh, we planned for um, but haven't done. Um, take some some trips that we haven't done, um, and also because we're a, a Christian family, we ha- support a lot of missions over the uh, over different countries. So we want to go and visit those areas where we've put uh, money into, where we've supported communities, and uh, just continue to to do the things that we're passionate about the things that we love and the things that we think that we've been called to do.
0: I absolutely love that you're carrying the experience that you built over the last few decades and you're pouring it into your next chapter, your next passion, your next calling. And it seems like uh, an exceptional way to really find purpose in everything that you do. Keith, I want to thank you for being a part of this incredible conversation. I think your story is, Um, Very insightful. It's very inspiring for businesses that are in similar positions that have maybe experienced the same challenges that you. And I imagine a lot of these businesses don't know what that next step is and are looking for a case study like yours to really light that fire making them aware that there is opportunities and there is very strategic decisions that can be made along the way. And you've done such an exceptional job breaking that down one line item at a time. So I want to thank you for being on Growth Decoder and I wish you the best of luck in your career.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.
0: That was a great conversation with Keith Bosman of VIP Soap Products. My first big takeaway from today's episode is the importance of starting succession planning early. Give yourself at least two years in advance so you can start preparing your assets, weather market downturns, and be prepared for unforeseen changes in your personal life or global events. The second big takeaway is how important it is to get your business properly appraised. You want to feel confident that you're selling for what you're worth, and getting it assessed will be a giant step towards making a sale that you can feel good about. And the final big piece is communication with family and friends. Understanding if someone close to you wants to take over the business or not is an important consideration. In the next episode, we'll hear how Drew Galvin of Pure Image grew his home theater and automation company from the back of his car to three locations across British Columbia.
1: Uh, I can also say that if I hadn't made that
0: mistake and gone ahead with that project, Who knows what would have happened? Maybe we wouldn't even be in business. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Growth Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit www.cwbank.com slash podcast for more about VIP soap products, as well as other businesses and topics featured on Growth Decoder. I'm your host, Mahfuz Chowdhury. Thank you for listening. Growth Decoder is brought to you by Canadian Western Bank with production by SJC.